Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Elizabeth Reese. I'm Marjorie Punnett. This is Best to the Nest, the podcast that is all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. It's a watch, read, listen day, Marjorie Punnett. These are always good days. Oh, and I've got some good stuff. And I know my first one. I know my watch. You're probably watching it too. And if you're not already watching it, I'm jealous because it's so good. Ted Lasso, Mm. third season. Haven't started yet. And I cannot wait to start. Now I've watched the first two seasons, of course, but I have been deep in the depths of my watch for the week, which I'll tell you about in a minute. Um, And so I haven't started Ted Lasso the third season yet, but we were just talking about it on Twin Cities Live with our uh, TV and movie critic who was on the show. And he just like could not stop singing its praises. I love this show. I'm going to be devastated when it's over. Uh, and it is going to be over because they've been, the writers, and Jason Sudeikis, who's the head writer and probably the executive producer, have been very clear about that it's a three-season arc. Second season was very dark of Ted Lasso. If you don't know what, if you don't know Ted Lasso, basically it's an absurd plot where a American football coach is brought over to England to, co- to coach a soccer slash football team. He knows mm-hmm. nothing about soccer. The premise is absurd, but it doesn't matter. It's so sweet. But the second season was very dark. And my own theory on this, and probably it's everybody's theory on this, is that Jason Sudeikis was in the midst of being left by his long-term fiance Olivia Wilde, for Harry Styles. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was like a horrible real breakup and the second season was really sad parts of it were really sad and season three started out a little slow first episode a little slow it was kind of like they're just getting their feet wet a little bit and then the second episode they're back in full form the writing was spectacular so it's so sweet and I consider Ted Lasso the antidote for me to the other series I just finished which is The Last of Us so which is very very dark I haven't watched that yet either, but that is definitely on my list. And I've been hearing people say that like particular episodes of that show changed their life forever. And so then I oh, feel <laughs> like, oh my gosh, this sounds like a lot. Ted Lasso to me though, is a lot like Schitt's Creek, Oh yes. which um, just in terms of, you know, yeah. very different, of course, in terms of the plot and all of that. But the joy that I get from the show Ted Lasso is very similar to the joy that I get from Schitt's Creek, where it's a little bit campy. And I find that so wonderful. And then there's so much heart to it. And you just end up finding sort of these like silly over the top characters, and they do such a beautiful job of developing them into amazing, complicated people that have you just fall, you fall so in love with them. And when I finished Schitt's Creek, I could like, 
I mean, I was broken in pieces. I was so sad when it was over. I was the same way with Schitt's Creek. I was so incredibly sad that I I wanted more of them. So they remember there was that Schitt's Creek documentary. Then there was, mm-hmm. um, and then I was just deep diving to find anything, which really doesn't satisfy the need for the episode. But I, I, I have, I'm far enough away from Schitt's Creek that I may go back and rewatch it all because it's that good. And I've forgotten enough now that I could go back and it'll be fresh again. But um, I think I should do that, too, because I was definitely um, I was on a maternity leave and I can't remember with who, you know, so many children. I can't remember (laughs) which maternity leave I was on when I watched it. And so you're always a little bit in like a blurry haze. Uh So I think I could totally rewatch it, too. Yeah. Um, Well, all right. uh, My pick for my watch is something that we talked about um, that was coming out that I was very excited about. You alerted me to this. And this is Daisy Jones and the Six, which is out on Amazon Prime. And um, they dropped the first three episodes. And then after that, they've been coming out uh, two episodes at a time. The final two episodes are now out. And as of today, as of this recording, I have not watched them yet. My plan is to um, get these little tiny humans to bed. And then I'm going to sit in my secret TV spot and watch oh, I love that. myself. I love I that. Secret TV spot. It's so great. And, um, and I have to tell you, I'm really loving it. Like I loved the book. I listened to the book on audible, which I keep recommending to people that that's the way to consume it. It, The book is written by Taylor Jenkins Reid, who is just like, she cranks out one hit book after another, but this one was particularly good on audible because they had so many different characters that, you know, each chapter is told from the perspective of a different member of this band that is it's like a Fleetwood Mac-esque 1970s rock and roll band and so each chapter goes from one person to the next as they sort of tell their story because the premise is that they're doing a documentary on this band 30 years later or whatever so I loved how the audiobook went because you could hear the different voices because there were different actors playing each character and then just watching it come to life in terms of the show is very fun and now what's so cool about it is that the music is all over the place and you can hear the music you can stream it because they wrote the songs based on the book and Riley Keough who is Elvis's granddaughter plays Daisy Jones and that I think is just so cool because it's like this rock and roll band and then she's of course just you know she's a rock and roll grand how's princess it, and how's her voice and she's great how's her voice she's great really? wonderful yeah can you yeah. hear a little can some you people hear a little say elf? the music yeah can you, you can hear like some um some she's just got a lot of depth you can tell that it's just like within her that the music right. is just right. within her oh I love that I love that yeah. have you been to uh Graceland no I never have okay that's a weird little fun trip if you yeah, ever get a yeah. chance to go, because when, when I took the boys, we went to Memphis mostly because we wanted to catch the train, the Amtrak and in, in Georgia, um, we were living in Atlanta. And so the only place, the closest place we could catch the train to go to New Orleans was Memphis. And so we drove to Memphis and then took the train from Memphis to New Orleans. I mean, the kids were like 10 and eight. It was such a great yeah. road trip. And so I'm like, we're in Memphis. We might, might as well go to Graceland. So bizarre, Elizabeth. Graceland is the equivalent of any, the house is smaller than any pretty average suburban upscales, you know, suburban house. Wow. Yeah, smaller than, more than likely. 
It's like, it's like, oh my God. It's, it's like, it's, it's not a big house at yeah. all, but it's preserved. So it's preserved in that great 1960 sort of kitsch. But the coolest part was they had the Lisa Marie, the private jet was parked. So if you bought a ticket to Graceland, you got a ticket to the Lisa Marie. And that was cool. Okay. But that's very. But it was really cool. fun. I what mean, is it's a strange, great like all the things about that family and the relationships oh, yeah. are so strange. That reminds me that I do still need to watch Elvis, the movie. I haven't, I haven't seen it. I haven't either. Maybe that's what I'll put that on my list. I'll put that. Yeah. I will, okay. I watch we're that. Gonna talk See, about this is what happens. One thing leads us to another. <laughs> I know there's not enough time, Elizabeth. There's not enough time. No. Since we're speaking of strange on my reading list, I had to read for class, but I'm glad I did. Peter and Wendy. So like Peter Pan? Peter Pan. So the J.M. Barry version, Peter and Wendy, learned a lot about Peter and Wendy. I'll give you the short version because this is not a college lecture. Didn't know this. Peter Pan was never intended to be a children's character. It, oh, yeah. Originally, Peter Pan was in a book that was written for adults called The Little White Bird. And uh, The Little White Bird, I read some of that, really, really strange. And then Peter Pan, the character sort of took off. And so J.M. Barry sort of retroactively took that character and then developed it into Peter and Wendy, which he wrote for children. But it's, have you ever actually read it? Like we all know no, Peter Pan. No, but I, yeah, but I watched the Disney, like the original Disney one. Um, you know, within the last couple of years, we kind of went through looking at those old it's a creepy story, though. I mean, oh, the whole thing is real, creepy. Like the mother thing creepy. is creepy. All the creepy. Tinkerbell stuff is creepy. It's super racist. I mean, there's all those things. Super creepy. Super. And we we read stuff like this and we talk about the problems and we talk about, you know, why they are, you know, all of that stuff. So we don't read it like in awe. We read it to pull it apart. Um, but if you've never read it, it is so weird and jm barry has like the most problematic history so you know the authors got problems the books got problems but what was weird to actually read it is there are things that you sort of like know about them but you don't know where they came from uh, like this idea like i never really thought like like when i read it in the book that fairies come from every time a baby laughs mm -hmm. fairies are created mm -hmm. like that's something that i sort of like kind of new as a thing but i didn't know that came from peter pan oh but the strangest thing the strangest thing in his list like it's so dark the book is so dark and you know there's murder there's mayhem there's chaos tinkerbell is like nasty like she is she is mean 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 but there's one part where peter pan is is mad because wendy's questioning him about something and he gets mad and so he goes off to a corner I wish I had pulled the passage and he starts breathing really hard and really fast because in his mind, every time he takes a deep, a deep breath, an adult dies. <laughs> Whoa. So he's mad. So he's just killing people. So I was actually talking about this with a teenager that I know. And she actually said one of the most brilliant things. She said, like, you, you like, you like tilt. Peter and Wendy, just like 30% dark. And it's an absolute horror movie. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. But anyway, I don't know that I'm recommending to read Peter and Wendy, but it's one of those, those things that sort of is in our culture and because of Disney. But this is, the book really has very little to do with Disney. I mean, there's so many dark places in this book. I, I found it fascinating. 
Oh man, that's very interesting. Yeah. Um, okay. The book that I'm reading has some darkness to it too, but I'm oh. really enjoying it. So it's called kitchens of the great Midwest. Oh, I and, love that. um, I know. And it's a, what, what is fun is, you know, this is kind of where this came from is a couple of weeks ago, I had an afternoon free. And so I took myself on just an afternoon day date and I drove to Stillwater and, um, and I just wandered around to all of my favorite shops in Stillwater. And I love Stillwater. I like to consider myself an honorary resident, even though I don't own property there, but, um, <laughs> I just like love, going through the shops and I love talking with people and I just think it's so much fun. So I happened to go into this bookstore um, and it's called the Valley Bookstore and it's a little locally owned bookstore right on the St. Croix River in Stillwater. I mean, it's just magical. So I wandered in and it was just a nice reminder to me that like, it's very fun to go into bookstores and it's mm -hmm. very fun to just chat with people about what to read and to just wander through. And I felt so much joy and I'm finally feeling like, okay, I've got a little bit of freedom to be able to actually do some things that like wander through places, which mm -hmm. is something that gives me so much happiness, but that has been very much lacking from my life for approximately right. the last eight and a half years since I became a mother. <laughs> Um, but so I went in there and then I was just reading. Now I do have to confess, confess, I think I've read this before because I picked up this book. And then as I'm reading it, I'm like, I'm pretty confident that I've read this, but I'm feeling very good about reading it again. There you go. It's called Kitchen is of the Great Midwest. It's a novel by J. Ryan Straddle, I think, or Stradle. It's S-T-R-A-D-A-L. Maybe we'll go with Stradle. I don't know. Straddle would be fun too. Um, but it's <laughs> he's a local guy. He's a Minnesota native. And um, it is about this young woman and um and her very interesting way that she was placed into the family that she's placed in. I'm only going to say that. And it's about um, the love of food that was passed down from her biological father and mm -hmm. how that is part of her life working in kitchens and this amazing, unique palette that she has where she can withstand the spiciest of spicy foods and she can taste every ingredient that's in something that's put before her. It's just like quirky. It's funny. It's interesting. There's a mother daughter situation going on and I'm just so enjoying it. And the main character's name is Eva. And, um, there's so many Minnesota references in it. I mean, it's just oh, all fun. Minnesota all the time, which I love very, very much. He has written another book too. Oh gosh. I got to remember what it is. Um, because I downloaded that. Oh, the logger queen of Minnesota, a novel. Other people have said that this is so good too. And I actually have that one already downloaded on audible. So I'm looking forward to reading that one too, but, um, it's and he just probably lovely. lives in Stillwater, you know? He probably, I think he's well-known. He did. I posted about the book and then he sent me a note on Instagram and thanked me for posting and oh, for choosing to read his book, which is very nice. And, um, and he's just uber talented. So it's, you know, it was really another reminder. He lives in California, by the way. Oh, does he? Um, okay. And yeah, so he, um, he's like a, he hosts the literary culinary series called hot dish. So he's huh. like, a you know, he's a Minnesota guy living in California, but, um, it was also another reminder as I was walking through the bookstore and I picked up another book by a local author too. And I, that I just 
there's so much good talent. Like there are so many amazing writers from Minnesota and the bookshop people who I was talking with when I was discussing this with them said that's because there are so many discerning readers. Like there are just, we are, you kind of can take for granted. I think if you're born and raised here that, that we are a community that really values literature and that that's sort of baked into the culture of who we are here where it's not necessarily everywhere else. And so that is, it becomes just this breeding ground for amazing writers, which is really cool. I think that's really true. And I think it's true of many parts of the Midwest in general. When Mm -hmm. we first, when I was first married, we lived in Iowa briefly and we had moved there from New Jersey. And I remember Ian was working at a radio station and he walked in and he walked into the lunchroom and all of the women in the lunchroom were reading. Oh. And I, I always felt, I mean, I always felt that way in, in Iowa and I have felt that way in the Midwest. I think that's very true of Midwesterners in general and probably mm-hmm. even exponentially so about Minnesotans. That was one of the things that even, you know, at the radio station that we worked at, people were always talking about books. I know. And and it wasn't just because these were people who were on the air. They were choosing to talk about books on the air, which is not, that's not true everywhere. That's not true everywhere. I know. So that's, I think that's really cool. But I I think it's cool that you support local authors. Um, Because not everybody Yeah, I also learned, um, did you know about this, Marjorie, too? So, and I have mentioned Audible multiple times, but did you know about this thing called Libro? Libro Libro.fm. Have you heard of this? No, what is it? I learned about this when I went to the bookstore because I somewhat apologetically said to them, I said, you know, I love coming into bookstores and I, you know, wanted to purchase a couple of things. Um, and then I admitted that I had an audible membership and I was like, but you know, audible, like, I don't really know how to support a local bookstore if I have, if I want to listen to it, because listening to books is how I consume a lot of my books these days. And they were like, oh, well, there's something called Libro. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so ignorant. And they were so kind and non-judgmental, which I thoroughly appreciated. Yeah, you don't need that. And what you can, no, I mean, and what you do is you basically just do a Libro membership instead of Audible and they split the proceeds with an independent bookshop of your choice. So I can sign up for it through the Valley Bookstore because I heard about it. And then every month when I pay my subscription, they get half of the proceeds. Oh, and look I was like, this is totally the way to do it. So I actually just downloaded, I finally got to a point where I downloaded my last credit on Audible right? and, um, and I'm going to make the switch over. Oh, I and love that. It's, they have great deals. It's like, you know, your, I think your first book is 30% off and then it's like, or, or your first month is 30% off and then it's the same. I mean, you get a monthly recurring charge just like you do on Audible, right? Right. Right. Do you know what the and, monthly charge um, is? I feel like it's $14.99. I think same. it's the same. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. I'll have to look into that. Libro is what it's called. Yeah. I oddly feel I like that very much. And so I don't want, you know, local bookshops to get mad at me. But I I have a way of attaching to inanimate things. And then it's very hard for me to leave them. I have like this weird, like it would be hard for me to cancel my Audible account. I don't know why I'd have Remember to because... when you had like 14 credits and you would, and you would talk about it on the radio, like yeah. every week you have all these credits and you are yeah. paying for it every month and you're not using it. Remember that? Yeah, I do remember that. And you got, you whipped me into shape on that one. I now have one credit. I'm very good about using my credits, but I have a very, okay. um, I think because I've just had it for so long and it's been such a comforting friend to me that it's hard know, to say and goodbye. You can see the history and you can see your library and all that stuff. Uh, and all that stuff. So I may have to do both. 
because I actually, I don't I know. I think that's fine. I believe in Libro. I think that's really, 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 really cool idea because I too love going into bookstores, but if you don't ever buy anything, it's very hard for them to stay open. Like they just can't stay that open for true. my joy of walking no. through. So I do love no. that. No. Um, which brings us to what we're listening to. And it brings me back to Audible. And I'm going to give you one guess of what author I might be listening to on Audible. Oh, he's used up all obsessed. of my credits. He's used up yeah, all of my credits. Yeah, you're obsessed with Sedaris, Amy Sedaris's book. David Sedaris. Still. David Sedaris. David Sedaris. Yeah, still on David Sedaris. Now I'm on um, Me Talk Pretty One Day, which was his probably oh, his yeah. most, it's probably his most popular. I, I would imagine that's his best-selling book, although he has many bestsellers. Um, I think it was his second or third published book. So it's from quite a few years ago. Um, it's the only one of his I've ever read. I've read that. Oh, is, okay. Yeah. The, the chapter called me talk pretty one day may be one of the funniest bits of writing that I've ever listened to slash read. <laughs> and it's all about a kind of sadistic French teacher where he's learning French in Paris. In addition to this chapter, he had also written an article for Esquire about this French teacher who was, he was learning French through Alliance Francaise, which Alliance Francaise mm -hmm. is an amazing organization. I actually have taken French lessons through them in the Twin Cities. It's amazing. But this French teacher was really, really mean. And so he wrote about her in Esquire and it kind of came back and bitter. And he said, that's the one thing. I've also done a deep dive on a lot of interviews with him. And he said, that was the one thing that he has felt really, because he's very honest about a lot of family men members and he exaggerates about family members. But he said that he felt really bad about because oh, it's shit. funny, but she was real. Now, I say all yeah. this not knowing whether any of this is true. Do you know what I mean? Okay. So yeah. this is what he says. The essay, Be Talk Pretty One Day, is just so 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 funny so i'm still i'm still listening to him he talks to me every night before i go to bed and are you laughing out loud in bed sometimes that's a good way to go to sleep mm -hmm. like with laughter mm -hmm. i think that's nice sometimes that's good for a person but uh so okay. i'm still deep in that and and that has used up i had like i had like a always had like four or five credits sort of sitting mm -hmm. in queue and i have i i went through all of them cuz i think i've ordered everything that david sidaris has written so there oh, it is. That's great. Yeah, there it is. I did just add a little link to Libro.fm into our show notes. So Marjorie, if you want to pop those in when we publish this old podcast, then I people sure, can just go right to the link. I sure will. Good. Okay. Um, I am really catching up on a podcast that I thoroughly enjoy. And um, I had to sort of back off of during COVID for a myriad of reasons that I won't go into here. But um, now this podcast is back to how I fell in love with it. It's called the wise traditions podcast. I think I've talked about it before, but I've just been really listening to a lot of episodes and it's from the Weston A. Price Foundation. And what's interesting about it is that I think the host, her name's Hilda Labrada Gore. She cracks me up because at the beginning of every podcast, she's like, hi, it's Hilda. And if you listen to it, you'll know what I'm talking about. She's just so sweet and so funny. Um, but it is the Weston A. Price Foundation is, um, let me just say it can be kind of controversial because it's based on the work of Weston A. Price, who was um, a dentist who traveled to indigenous communities throughout the world and really made some um, 
discoveries about what he believed that the ultra processed westernized diet was doing to people in terms of chronic illness, in terms of um, really just leading to non-optimal health. And I don't think that part is very controversial, but then like some of the things that the foundation will recommend or will talk about can come under fire. That being said, I love, they bring on lots of different experts on their podcast and, um, and it can feel very confusing in terms of like, what are the best foods to eat and what are, you know, why should we eat certain foods and all of that? And how many different supplements should we be taking? And I've, I've, as of late sort of been taking this step back and looking at just like, how can I consume the most nutrient dense foods yep. so that I don't have to think about things like supplements and all these practitioners and all these different extra things that I'm doing where I can like really just get back to I basics and, and have this respect that my body knows what to do and that, um, healing comes from just getting out of the way of your body knowing what to do. And so, um, I have been catching up on a lot of these different episodes and I think that they do a really nice job of breaking things down. They offer, they also offer a ton of different resources. Um, you know, a lot of you guys, nesters will message me and be like, well, how should I, you know, do you have a farmer that you like? Like, who do you buy this from? Who do you buy that from? And the Weston A. Price Foundation, regardless of if you buy into every single thing that they, that they talk about, they have an amazing guide, like shopping guide of incredible farmers who are regeneratively farming food. Oh, that's great. Um, lots of resources for food that, you know, is like super nutrient dense, super nutritious, um, prepared traditionally, all those different types of things. And so I find them to be just a wealth of knowledge. So I like to offer like a little bit of a, you know, just, just go at it with an understanding that maybe not everything in it is going to be for you, but I think a lot of it is really, really beneficial. And it's been really helpful for me. Well, this idea too, of supplements, because everything I read about, and I, I think that they can be good or not good. I mean, as long as you're doing everything responsibly and thoughtfully and trying to really pay attention to your own body, But I just read an article the other day, I can't remember what it was in, but they were again talking about, and this is not new information, like you said, is that really it's always best if we're getting it from the food. From food. From food, because it, Mm -hmm. your body processes it differently. I don't, I don't in any way. So I'm not suggesting that supplements are pointless. I'm not saying that. It's just, I think you're right to step back. And I think that's good for everybody to go, oh, okay. Do I feel good? feel pretty good, but still to step back and say, you know, what else could I be doing? Our bodies are so incredible. And the more I learn about what our bodies can do, it's just amazing. And I think just finding those things that sort of open the pathway to let our body do what it needs to do is the most incredible thing. I follow this doctor. Her name's Dr. Cassie Huckabee. She's really interesting. And um, I've been sort of just checking out what she's been doing, but she says, that if you want an example, the only goal for your body is to heal and to thrive is watch what happens when you get a paper cut. If you get a paper cut on your finger, immediately your body is going into healing mode. And, um, and I've also been thinking a lot about this idea that our, and I was just, they were talking about this on Weston A. Price Foundation's podcast. And then my homeopath, Jenny Hoagland posts about this quite a bit too. She's the enlightened homeopath on Instagram, but she there that we have so demonized symptoms in our culture as the symptom is the problem. We have to get rid of the symptom. 
for example, a fever, right? If your child has a fever, it's immediately like, oh my gosh, full panic. We need to give Tylenol to get rid of the fever. Well, what if you look at it from a completely different perspective, which is that the fever has a purpose. And a lot of these um, more like functional medicine doctors, again, I'm not a doctor. So you need to have a relationship with your own healthcare practitioner, but we'll say that the fever is the body's response to killing off a virus that raising the temperature of the body is what kills the virus that can't survive is the, that is the healing mechanism. And when you consistently stop the fever by pumping Tylenol or something else or a fever reducer, now there are points when it can get too high for sure, but that you are stunting your body's, um, way of healing and that symptoms are healing. So like the cut, then if you, if you, if you constantly picked at the scab, what's going to happen, it's not going to heal. The blood is going to just keep coming. It's, it's just like an interesting perspective that our symptoms are sometimes looked at like, Oh, we have to get rid of this. We have to get rid of it. Instead of looking at like, what is it telling me? What is it trying to tell me about what's going on here? So I'm interested in that podcast, but I do think the real food, going back to real food, being proactive, paying attention to how you feel is such great advice. And I love that you're always in a good way, reminding people that it's possible. Yeah. It, it doesn't have to be, and, and you don't have to be a hundred percent all in. I mean, that's the thing that's so empowering is that I just never want to feel like, oh, if you don't do every single thing, right. Um, you know, like I compare myself to our friend, Laura, uh, Laura Pulisic from Toxy Free in Stillwater, the aforementioned right. Stillwater, one of my right. favorite stores, which I went to also on that day and bought mm. a crap ton of great stuff. It was a very good <laughs> day, Marjorie. It was very fun. I was apparently feeling wealthy. And so yes. I purchased, but, um, <laughs> but you know, she's all in, she's like 100% yeah. all in, but it doesn't mean that if you're not that, you know, she also has multiple autoimmune conditions. And so it's like, that's a whole nother situation, right? If you're not that you can still make a huge difference in how you feel. But my, I think, especially since the ankle break, you know, I have lived the downside of learning all these things is you can end up starting to feel very fearful of everything that's around you. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you can go like, oh my gosh, the cell phones are going to kill us. The plastic's going to kill us. The, uh, the process that high fructose corn syrup is killing it. You know, I could list for you, if you allowed me the time, a hundred things that are going to kill us. (laughs) I know them all. I have them all in my brain. I read books about them. I like, and I found myself sort of going like, I don't know if this is that healthy for me to always be thinking about everything that's so bad that I have to try to figure out a way to overcome. Right. And so as I've sort of been, you know, continue always progressing and always learning in terms of, you know, health, and that's just something that's important to me. Um, I've been realizing, like, I think I can get more back to basics, which is what Laura talks a lot about. It's just thinking of it as like every great thing that you do is like a deposit into your body's bank account. And then when it comes across something that it's got to overcome, it's ready to go and do it. Like it's in fighting shape. It's ready to go and do it. And so there's very few things that can take you down if you're constantly you know, like just depositing and depositing. And then there are the things like you slip on ice and crash to the ground that you just like can't avoid. And you thank the Lord that there are doctors who can nail your ankle back together. I right. mean, right. it's just an evolution, but I have, I think you can go, which I have done this road of feeling a little bit too, 
everything's a conspiracy to kill us. Big food, big egg, big everything. It's all going to kill us. And this is what I like to think about at night. It's not good. It'll get to you. And It'll get to you. Uh, what I am working on doing is shifting more into um, a real faith in the fact that we are beautifully made in the image of God, you know, that that is at the core of my belief. And what does that actually mean? That that means that we are capable of so many amazing things that sometimes I don't think we give our bodies credit for. We think like, oh, you know, better, but, but nature has everything that we need if we just get a little bit more back to basics. Well, and I think anytime where you're, and I think this is important if you're modeling this for your children as well, that anytime you can have a message of love and hope and optimization, as opposed to one of fear and deficit, yeah, you're going to be yeah. better off. Um, you're just going to be yeah, better and off. Respect, respect for your body is this amazing thing. I mean, think yeah. about even how that translates into something we talk about a ton on this podcast, which is body image. And yep. If you have that deep core belief that your body is your home, your body is this amazing, beautiful, healing, surviving, thriving um, being that like, how could you ever look at it as anything other than just a freaking miracle? Makes it harder to do drugs as a teenager. That might be, that might be a good message to really instill in those kids. Respect your body. Don't mess with your body. body. Yeah, that's great. No, right? Great. Mm-hmm. It's really good stuff. So you never know where a watch re-listen is going to go. And alas, here we are. <laughs> here we are, Marjorie Punnett. That's right. Here we are. At the end, that should be our tagline for our podcast now. Here, here we, we are. are. Here we if, are. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review at Apple Podcasts. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best of the Nest. We are the podcast that brings you home.